Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Kitchen Table. I'm sitting here next to Josh Winter. He's the talent. I'm your host, Justin White, and we are your amateur podcasters for this episode. Welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while. It feels like it's been a while. It uh, does. It does, and I, I kind of miss it, to be honest with you. I do, too. We're, we're on a good roll. Um, you know, I think we had, what, multi-company and apes kind of put a, a damper on a lot of, not damper, put it, put the brakes on a lot of our projects. Yeah, I mean, we in the training division, we're kind of all in. We're all hands on deck when we do those because it takes, there's a lot of moving parts and we, quite honestly, we want to make them uh, the best possible experience we can for everybody. And I think it, I think it turned out well. Um, apes this year in particular, we just wrapped those up or we'll be wrapping them up in the next couple of days. And, um, you know, we're kind of on an apes hangover. I'm all hopped up on caffeine, uh, this afternoon, not on coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I did, uh, break out a soda this afternoon. So I'm, I'm ready and raring to go, but I will say that the skills performed across the board, um, Regardless of shift, regardless of station, north, south, east, west, doesn't matter. The skills performed this year, pulling hose, throwing ladders, forcing doors, doing searches. Uh, in all the times that I've done this, uh, hands down the best I've seen from this fire department. I was very, very happy to see that and very proud of all the people that, that have taken the time and, and trained and really uh, taking this craft seriously and, and, and uh, again, are taking our department in a whole new direction. Me too. I'm very, very impressed by the, the skills and just the overall knowledge of our people now. Um, you know, not to mention the people that came out to be evaluated, but also the evaluators, the SMEs that we brought out from the line. Um, because, you know, Captain Anderson lined up a pretty wide variety of, of people to come out and help with. Uh, some of the kind of, I'd say, lecture part of it. And the people that we come out just listening to them talk about what we're doing, um, about, you know, the application of water or moving the hose lines and things like that. It's just we have a very knowledgeable department now. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun to be a part of and see that from this side of the house. Oh, absolutely. It's, I'd say it's fun to be a part of. And I learned so much, like one of the um, evolutions that we did. Well, actually, both of them. We had a live victim screaming out the window, and the first, I didn't know it was coming because I didn't <laughs> I didn't partici participate in the development of, of the exercise in and of itself. That was uh, Captain Anderson, Ken Anderson's um, job in all this. It was his year to do apes, and he grabbed a hold of it and got his SMEs, and they did a fantastic job of um, creating these exercises. Well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of walking around with the, that very first officer we had and Chris Burns started screaming out the window and it kind of shocked me. I wasn't wasn't ready for it. And I, and it, I realized that I don't know how I would react in that situation. I've never had that happen, you know, and the person that was doing it stayed very calm, very cool and very collected and just, you know, communicated with the person, had him go close the door. Um, did very well, but I found myself thinking, man, how would I have done that? And I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. And I, I think everybody did well at, at handling that, that situation. And, and hats off to all those folks that were victims that were, you know, tried to get the officers off their game. And sometimes it rattled them a little bit and they'd have to recover. And sometimes it didn't even phase them. Like, they, they knew exactly what 
they were supposed to do and they did it and they continued on with their job so yeah i i agree i think um i i wonder that as well you know for my own personal um i know that um on the line being on you know working incidents i usually had three quick questions you know is there anybody home where's the fire at what's the quickest way to get there and the information that i saw our people take from our role players was outstanding mm -hmm. i mean just like you said hey is your door closed i need you to go close the door um, you know things like that just those little additional things on top of the mess that we threw at them right when they pulled up so yeah and i and i found myself reverting back to you know you show up for a pregnancy an imminent birth and you know we were always taught and told and we and we practiced you know go boil some water and get yeah. me seven towels and so i was like man, maybe I just tell that person to go close the door and find me seven towels and go boil some water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just to give them something to do, right, that they think is meaningful. Just just like the, the birth, right? Like, we don't need the boiling water. We just need that yeah. person kind of out of the way and doing something so they feel helpful. Let's give you a task. Which, the <clears throat> quick story of Josh Verplank, you know, during this training evolution, he pulls up as a driver, and I believe it was Byrne was the role player yeah. and comes running up to him and screaming in his face and for plank puts his hand on his shoulder and kind of nudges him down to the ground and puts yeah. him in a sitting position and immediately reaches to his engineer's compartment pulls out a nozzle puts it in his hand and goes i need you to play with this <laughs> <laughs> and burn just i think it was burn he just kind of sat there with this nozzle in his hand like Okay, he just gave me a task to do. I mean, yeah, and know. someone else told the role player to sit down also, and they went to get up because yeah. no one was paying attention to him. And the IC looked and I said, I told you to sit down, <laughs> sat back down. So it was good. Everybody did well. It was nice to see, and, and um, uh, we're hope we're getting to the point um, where uh, Apes is not as intimidating as an environment as it was before. Um, many, many acting officers asked to be put in the hot seat, so to speak, to be incident command. And that was great to see. And that tells me that people are getting more comfortable with the process and how we're doing things. And uh, people were taking constructive criticism and, and positive feedback and, and really gained something uh, from uh, the experience of apes as opposed to simply going out and being evaluated because we did do the evaluation part two the clocks were running but I'm not sure anybody even knew that um, and if we had issues uh, we wouldn't have hesitated uh, to pull people out and say hey you got to redo this but we didn't have to yeah I think um, I feel like we've done a good job creating a learning environment even though it's an evaluation process um, most of our people I'd say almost everybody showed up um, with an open mind and those conversations that we got to have I would say I learned just as much having those conversations, watching this play out, um, as the person that we had the conversations with. You know, I mean, and most of the conversations were just very positive conversations. Um, and, you know, just from being on this side of the fence, being able to learn that way, it, it kind of just shows me a different, uh, you know, different level that, that uh, you know, that we can be on just from experiencing it. Well, we're all proud of you. Thank you all for coming down. You all should be proud of yourselves and be proud of this department and uh, where we're headed with that. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is kind of a new segment that we have here. <laughs> and I call this Books I've Almost Finished. 
Um, so <laughs> there's a couple. See, Josh and I both enjoy books. I enjoy reading them. I enjoy listening to them. Um, I enjoy finishing them. I don't always finish them. Okay, so... I would say actually most of the time I don't finish them. See, my, my Achilles heel is... I, I, I finish even bad books. So it ends up being a waste of time because I'm like, God, that was real bad. Why did I do that to myself? And I, and I don't know why. Yeah. I, um, you, however, don't finish good books. So great. I don't finish great books. <laughs> I, I think that I, I get to a point where, and, and this is horrible, but I get what I wanted to get out of the book. And then the rest of it, I'm like, ah, there's probably not. Like, I think I got the you know, for lack of better words, the meat and potatoes out of the book. And I'm sure. like, what else are they going to say? And, and I'm sure I miss a lot. I, well, you have, I think you have a different system than I have, though, because I can think back to our when I worked for you at Station 4. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, the way the bunk room was set up is my bunk was kind of catty corner to yours. And I remember every night your light would be on for about an hour. So I think that you had a system where you would go to bed and you would read a book for probably yeah, an hour. That's true. It does, it does clear my mind. I have a very active mind. And so if I don't do something right before bed, my mind goes all night and I wake up and I'm, and I'm, I'm up forever. So I don't know if you remember, like, even when we went out on calls, I'd have to come back and read for an hour. So I didn't sleep a whole lot at Station 4, especially when I was on the engine. But that, that is true. That is true. But I, I guess in that same vein, I look at you and like your yoga deck. Uh-huh. Is that completed yet? <laughs> you really had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> no. Okay, no, it's well, not. So, so it's a common theme in your life as well that you often get what you want out of it, which is maybe you've gotten what you want out of the yoga deck, and so you haven't no, finished that yet. No, like that, no. That one we have to finish. Um, that one truly became a financial thing because we wanted to put treks on it. And so I, fr- you know, what? let me back up a minute. I like, I call myself a framer. Like if we're going to look at ourselves, um, like in the construction world, I'd be a framer. I'm definitely not a finished guy. You know, I can't do trim work and stuff like that, but I can frame something and then I need to go on to something else. So I have a few projects like that. The yoga deck is one, okay. um, but we had actually talked about cutting up skis and putting skis over it to make it like this really wild yoga deck. Um, but I think we're kind of leaning back towards the treks. But I have a couple other projects around my place like that. I've got a treehouse that I started. So your kids are grown and won't use anymore. So. <laughs> but maybe their grandkids will. Yeah. It's got a roof on it. It's got walls. Um, but it didn't get to where I wanted it to. So it, it is kind of a common theme, um, I guess, for me. So we're, we're getting a little bit off the rails here. But So tell me about the most recent book you haven't finished. Because right. we, we talk about a few of them as you stop reading them. So uh, so having an idea that we were going to have a little bit of this conversation, I had to make a list because I wouldn't be able to remember them all. So I'm not going to go down the entire list of books, but I would say right now I have nine books this year that I've started. Okay. And I put checks by all the ones that I've finished. I have two books out of nine that I've finished. Sam, looking at your list, there's not very many checks on it. (laughs) It's just two. So um, I have On Combat and Left a Bang are two books that I've finished because I was so just like pulled into these books and I could relate so much of my life to these books 
that I had to like I, I had to go all the way to the end of them. Um, but then I've got some other books that are really great. Um, Talking to strangers, you know, it's just about how to have conversations and getting to know people and things like that. Where I've got a little bit out of the book, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of what I was looking for. So then I stopped reading it. Mm-hmm. It's still sitting in my in my library. I can go back and finish it someday. Um, my latest one is Born to Run, and this one I believe I'm going to finish. And the reason why is because I've got a partner in crime, you know, reading this book with my wife. Um, she, my son read it, and you know, my my family we've kind of been runners, and my son read it, and he's like, "Dad, you've got to read this book." And so, um, Car and my wife decided that she wanted to read it too. So we started listening to it together. But the problem is, every time we start listening to it, one of us falls asleep. So we've listened to chapters one through five about five times each and we're slowly making our way through it. So I think I'm going to get there, but this it, one's going to be a long process. I, too, have read that book, yes. the whole thing. A good book. It's worth the read. Absolutely. Or the listen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's your favorite one out of all those? Um, well, so my favorite one, I would say, is On Combat, the um, out of all the books. Mm-hmm. And it just it really gives you... I want to say scientific, but it really gives you backing to our world, you know, what we do as firefighters and what we do as first responders, um, you know, how, um, you know, fight or flight works and what it means to us on, on calls, you know, whether you're sitting in a chief's ride or you're first forcing a door as a firefighter, it gives you some background and really understanding of, oh, when I reacted this way or when I felt this way, this is why. And it's normal, you know, it mm-hmm. kind of really helps put our, our job into perspective. So that was um, probably one of the best books I've listened to. Listen to. So years. you're exclusively a listener, though. Yeah. Well, now that now that I've learned about um, Audible, now that I've learned about kind of books on tape, and I know they've been around for a long time. We used to buy them and we'd, you know, put them in the, like the CD player. But now it's so easy. And I've got, you know, a 40 minute drive to work. So it's really easy just to kind of put it in and listen. Um, I'll back up, though, and say, even as a kid, when I was in high school, I struggled with reading and, you know, following through with books. And um, when I was an explorer at 17 years old, I started this book called Report from Engine Company 82. And the funny thing is, is now it's all over the internet right now. Like this mm-hmm. book has come back around. It's um, written by a guy named Dennis Smith, FDNY guy, worked on Engine 82 back in the war days, back in the, you know, back in the Bronx when they had fires all the time. And it's just stories about Engine Company 82 and the calls they went on. And the best part about that book is it was just a bunch of like individual stories. Mm-hmm. So I could pick it up and leave it. So I really enjoyed that one, but so, never finished it. So here's here's where I thought you were going with that when you said at a very young age, I thought you were going to go, well, when I was four, I started reading <laughs> One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish by Dr. Seuss and just never got around to finishing it. I, the, yeah, Dr. Seuss, I definitely read those as a kid. But <laughs> the older I got, they still twist me up at, you know, now we, you know, we go to the schools and read, uh, read to kids. There's a couple Dr. Seuss books. When they hand them to me, I hand them right back because I'm like, I am not going to embarrass myself in front of these five year olds. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, what, go ahead. I was going to say, what, what, what book are you into right now? I am reading a, a fiction book, which I don't do often um, because I don't find them as captivating as I used to. 
for whatever reason. I don't know. Like I get on kicks. Like I'll just read read a lot about the Civil War. Or I'll you know read a lot about Native American history or something. You know, just something like that. So I'll just read multiple books on that. But I'm reading a John Grisham book, and I cannot remember the name of it. But I'm a, I'm a horribly slow reader, so mm-hmm. it it'll take me this four or five hundred page book. It'll take me two months to read it. You know, I, one one of it is I don't have time to just sit down and read. Right. You know, so it's always right before bed, and it's like three pages, and I'm asleep. Um, time for Grace, I think, is what it's called. It's about a, a kid who murders his uh, mother's boyfriend after the boyfriend beats his mother, and she thinks he thinks that she's dead, so she goes and and uh, kills the boyfriend. The boyfriend happens to be a sheriff deputy, so there's you know there's some you know issues within the town that they live in that a police officer was killed and uh, things like that. And so it's just John Grisham's just a good mindless you know read. It's a good story and it kind of captures you and, and he carries you through the story pretty well. And it's something I can pick up and put down and remember exactly where I was at. So it's definitely a light read. But I think maybe that's my problem is I get into, for me, like these heavier topics, you know, these topics yeah. that are really meaningful to me. And yeah. it's really hard for me to, you know, I've got to go back and listen to it again because I feel like I missed something. Oh, which reminds me. So here's the one. And Luke, you're going to have to beep this one out. But um, the one that I did finish recently was The Subtle Art of Not Giving <laughs> And this was an unbelievable book. I mean, it just really... Um, Oh, I think before I, I, well, I've told you about um, Noble Gibbons, um, who is a local podcaster, and he talks about about himself as being a recovering people pleaser. He says, I'm a recovering people pleaser addict. And when I heard him say that the first time, it meant a lot to me because I've always been that type of person as well. But when you read this book, it really helps you understand, you know, like, it's kind of hard for me to verbalize right now, but more have an awareness of when you're doing things to please other people. It's like sometimes you just have to not give a f- and it makes life a lot, whole lot easier. You could say F though, right? Like you don't have to like actually drop F bombs. Well, that's the name of the book though. Well, I understand that, but now you're creating work for Luke because he's got to go bleep everything <laughs> out every time you say it. Two times. We are FCC compliant. F, not, yeah. So. You know what, actually, I'd have to go look. I bet she even says like F, like star, star, star. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, I'm sure it does. Yeah. I'm sure it but, does. And I've, and I've heard good things about that book. It's always, I won't say always, it's um, for a while been at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, so it's always sitting there, but I never, I, I, it never captured me. You know, I was never like, oh, that sounds like a good, good it, read. But I, and I've heard good things about it. It is. It is great. Yeah. It is. Um, um, especially, I think for especially for the uh, people pleaser addicts. Is it good enough for you to finish? Yes. So wow, I would say okay. one of the reasons why I finished it is because it's only five hours long. I don't know what that equates to in pages. Yeah, you know. But I wonder if they could put you know how like they put quotes about how great the books are. It'd be. It was so good I finished it. <laughs> Josh Winter. <laughs> yes. I, so, and I actually finished this in about like, two, I'd say two days as well. Yeah. So this one, I mean, it captured me so much that I just sure. couldn't stop listening to it. Speaking of multimedia, 
um, we had an influencer visit us at Apes. So that kind of ties the books and, and, you know, the media topic and Apes together. Um, her name was Kara Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, put a video or two videos on TikTok. Yes. And it went, I guess it met the definition of going viral. Yes. Um, multi-million dollar, million views. Um, she's um, very charismatic. She's very, was very good at editing, chose the right music. She did everything just right on this video, I think, uh, and put us in a good light. What do you think about that and how can we use that um, to better bring to light our fire department and, and heighten people's interest in our organization? Yeah, she did an outstanding job. I mean, it just looks, I mean, it truly, it makes us look like rock stars. Um, I think, so when I saw it and the way that it was explained to me was the first video that she put out was somebody filming her. It's kind of like a, um, like, hey, here's an opening to what what's to come. And so it shows her going around filming different scenes of what we're doing during the apes. And then after that, then the very next day or the day after that, she put out all her, her video footage. And both of them were very impressive, but what she filmed, I mean, it just looked like a production right out of Hollywood. And, you know, our, our firefighters look like, like models out there doing, you know, doing great work, but mm-hmm. very skilled. And, sure. Um, but I think for us, I think it's an opportunity when you get, you know, millions of views on something and you look at what our, our vision statement is, is to be internationally recognized as industry leaders. It's like, well, that just, that just happened. And to me, it's funny. It's like we create this vision statement and now through many different ways, we're living up to it. You know, we're getting our name out there and we need people, you know, we're going to have a lot of attrition over the next, uh, you know, however many years the city's going to continue to grow. Um, we're looking at what being up to, what was it? 32 stations in the next yeah, 10 the next or 15 10, years. 15 years yeah. And I think that as we continue to grow, with that many people seeing it, I think that's really going to do a lot to, you know, put us in the spotlight and, and hopefully attract some really great people to continue to better our, us as an organization. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be a, a great recruiting tool, bring light, like, hey, here we are, mm-hmm. we're Colorado Springs. We do a lot of things that are that are out in the industry uh, with groups like, you know, Irons and Ladders are out there and, you know, you, you put an article in Fire Engineering and uh, we host the firefighter memorial every year so our name is out there we're not uh, necessarily a, a, I would say a hidden gem um, but it's always to, good to get our name out there for people that are looking for jobs and looking for good places to go and maybe we just you know move to more of the forefront of their mind um, and they'll come here and you know really enjoy uh, not only working for our, our fire department, but the experience of living in our town. It's funny because I was about to say the same thing in, in the opposite way of, you know, this this town attracts a lot of people, you know, one, because of our mountain. You know, we've got Pikes Peak. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the town that we live in has attracted um, a lot of our firefighters. I mean, that's kind of what brought me here in the, you know, with the military, but, you know, I wanted to come to Colorado Springs because of what Colorado Springs has to offer. But now I think we're in a place that shows that people will come to Colorado Springs Fire Department because they want to work for for us, not just because they want to live in this city, but because of the way that we operate and the way that we do business. 
One last thing before we go to our interview. Um, you have stated for the last several podcasts that you believe that we've um, become better than amateur status. <laughs> I, have, I have strongly disagreed. Um, I will say we are still firmly implanted in the amateur realm of podcasting, which this banter back and forth, this loop that we've been on has proven that. However, no, I don't think it's, well, it's proven that we're, that we, we are rank amateurs. No, I think it's proving that we disagree on this. Okay. That fair enough. Um, Luke pulled the statistics on our podcast. We have two listeners in England and two listeners in India. Oh, wow. So we're, in fact, international. Internationally now. recognized. So, Kara, thank you for highlighting our department and for our all our international listeners. Um, we like to think that we're influencers in this realm as well. That is, I, whether it was, you know, through her help or not, I would say now we could call ourselves professional podcasters we are not only getting paid but we have international listeners well first this was pulled before she did the videos so we had our listeners before the tiktok thing and second it's my line and i'm going to continue to call us (laughs) amateurs and and i will continue to argue the the opposite (laughs) very well so we did an interview uh back in june again we were a bit derailed by multi-company and apes with our very own Fred Varnell. He was retiring and, and he, if you don't know Fred, he's a great person and to me embodies everything I love about the fire service. He's a great storyteller. Uh, he's a great leader. He's well-respected. He's just a good human. Um, and I wanted to sit down and talk to him before he left. So those very selfish reasons for me to have him come in here. Not only did I want to talk to Fred, I wanted to talk to his wife, Cindy, as well, because if you don't know the backstory, and it's a little bit, it's mentioned in the in the uh, interview a little bit, but we used to be neighbors, and, and uh, my wife and his wife were very, very close um, in our early years here in Colorado Springs, did a lot of things together, and so she's, again, just a great person, just a great people person, makes you feel good about, you know, being alive and she just has so much energy and it's just a lot of fun to be around her. So part of me wanted to have her in as well. So again, another selfish reason, but I think it went really well. I mean, it was just a great interview and it really uh, captured who Fred is as a person and what he meant to this fire department. Yeah, I loved the conversation with him. Um, But like you said, that's usually when you sit with him that's how you walk away you like that was a great conversation and when i thought about this particular episode um i tried to think of like okay what's three words that capture you know my feeling of you know who he is who he is as a company officer and um the three that i came up with were pretty straightforward one he's very fun um he is down to earth and the most important one that I came up with is that he is authentic. Um, he just, when you sit down and talk to him, you just know, like, this is who he is. You know, he's not hiding anything. He's not trying to, you know, make himself sound any better than, you know, than, than he is. He's just a very 
uh, caring person and wants to show, you know, just wants to show who he is and he, and he's comfortable with that. Yeah, he's definitely comfortable in his own skin. I, I, that's great. I agree with you 100%. Authentic is a great way to describe who Fred is and how he's been through his whole career. Uh, he does have fun. He does like to laugh and have a good time. And he, and as he mentioned in the interview, he's all business when it's time for business. Yes, absolutely. Uh, has always been that way, has always been a consummate professional. So with that being said and no further ado, let's go to our interview with Fred and Cindy Vardell. Tell us a little bit about your journey. We want to hear how you got to this day. You're, you've had obviously had a successful career, well-respected fire officers here at CSFD. I'm only saying that because you're sitting in front of me. <laughs> of course. Um, normally we bring in the slouches. So just someone that anybody can identify with, and that's you. Uh-huh. So no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, tell us about your career. Tell us how you got here. How did you get into the fire service? Why oh. CSFD? And go, let's go with that, see where, see where that takes us. Interesting. Okay, well, um, I went, I've, I've lived here my whole life, born and raised here in Colorado Springs. Uh, went to Palmer High School. My mom and dad went to Palmer High School. My grandmother went to Palmer High School. Oh, wow. So we've lived here a long time. You could get pioneer license plates. <laughs> That's right. Because you're like the third generation, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, out of high school, I went into business with my, my dad at that time, and we, we did construction, drywall specifically. So we had a, a small drywall company, and uh, I just did that for a number of years uh, after graduation. And... Uh, was always obviously like every other person in construction was looking for something else to do and it's really interesting one day a guy by the name of mike cahill came to my house who i knew i went mm -hmm. to high school with him and that's drew cahill's dad okay so i went to high school with him and we started talking he said he was thinking about the fire department applying for the fire department it's like and i was just talking to him and i was like well what do you have to do to get on the fire department you know and we started talking about it i don't think he ever tested for it i think he decided to because he was in construction also yeah. so i knew him for a long time in that venue also and uh so i thought well maybe that's something i could try you know so i started looking into it and i met uh i went to a church at that time with uh, arnie lablet who was a chief on our job and I started talking to him about what the fire service was because I had no idea anything about it. I knew fire trucks put out fires, but I had no idea that we did medical things and all the things that we do. I had no idea. So I started researching the department and I decided to test. So I signed up to take the test. And at that time, initially, it was a, a one-year list. So they tested every year. So I didn't get hired the first time. Uh, and then the next year I tested, didn't get hired that time. And at that point they made a two-year list. So it took another year and I got into the A band then finally and got hired in October of 91. And uh, we had a pretty big class at that time for that. We had about 20 people in our academy. 
uh, Butch Gunn, Dan Romero, Middlestad, uh, Julie, Julia Stone. It's gone through numerous names. What was her name? Groves then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always like to throw that in for Julie. She appreciates it. Um, so yeah, uh, started the academy. It was a it was a long process for me um, uh, trying to get on. I did a lot of studying, a lot of practice. Uh, I was married at the time to my first wife, and we had a, uh, a child, a small uh, child at that time, my daughter Kristen. And so I was working all that so I could practice for testing and I'd go to fire stations and talk to people just like everybody does when they're trying to get on. So finally got hired, was in the first band, got hired and uh, went through the academy and came out of it and first station was station four and uh, that's a decent station. Yeah. I might have spent a day or two there. A day or two there, yeah. (laughs) Back then it wasn't quite as busy as it is now. But a guy worked there named Sammy Geek, was a driver engineer there. And it's funny because he knew my dad. Uh, uh, they played uh, softball together and stuff, did some other sports. So I knew him when I was a little kid. And uh, so we talked a lot. And he was just on his way out. And it was really funny because I tell this guy, I told a guy this story today. He told me at that time, he goes, Freddie, he always called me Freddie. He goes, Freddie, you won't believe how fast this career goes. And I was like, yeah, right, Sam, you know, it's. I came on at 30 years old. I was 30. And I was like, yeah, right. I said, I got a long road. And I cannot believe how fast this career went. I've been on almost 30 years now. Oh, wow. And I just can't believe it. It's like I I remember so much of my uh, probationary year and all that. So anyway, I went from fours to eights to sevens to ones. So I was really blessed with the stations that I got into because uh, – they were all real busy in his probationary. I got a lot of calls. Uh, stayed at ones for four years and tested for paramedic. I was a relief driver. I really wanted to be a driver. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. I knew it. And so I became a relief driver and started driving a lot. And at once, when you worked there, you'd get shipped out all the time, drive other places. And I found real quickly that I did not have the temperament to be a driver. I was going home pissed off every day. Like road rage? <laughs> road rage? <laughs> I, I couldn't stand it. It was driving me crazy. Uh, we'd leave the station. The sirens going. People wouldn't get out of my way. I was furious the whole day. Because, you know, we'd st- ones has always been ones. We run 20 calls a day. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it was 1992, 94, or 21. We're still running 20 calls a day, sometimes on the same people. And so I was I was pissed off all the time. And I was like, I can't do a career at this. I'll die of a heart attack in five, six <laughs> years. So I was like, I'll look at paramedicine. So I started studying the medicine stuff and uh, took the paramedic test, was lucky enough to get in the first band on that, and they sent me to Swedish Medical Center up in Denver to do my paramedic training. So I went to paramedic school with uh, Julie Stone, myself, and uh, who else was in there? Oh, Alex Delgadio. So we went to paramedic school together up there in Denver. Uh, that's a six-month course, uh, five days a week, eight hours a day. At that time, the department, at that time, paramedics, paramedic trainees was a promoted position. So you get promoted to paramedic trainee, you made just about driver's wages, and then you would get uh, promoted after you finished school and your, your, uh, all your ride time, you'd get promoted to paramedic at that time and go out on the line. So it's was, it was a different type system then. And... Uh, so in 1995, I started paramedic school up in Denver. I lived up there for six months. And then uh, 
got promoted to paramedic early 96 and uh, let's see where was my first station I think it was sevens started riding the squads doing all that and uh, worked that for I was a paramedic for nine years went into the training division in the cadre and I got promoted to lieutenant out of that and been a lieutenant ever since. Spent most of my career at Sevens because that was my favorite house. I, I was going to say you're kind of you're kind of attached. We're all kind of attached to stations. Yeah, like mine's exactly. obviously fours, and I think yours is Sevens. I, yeah, you know everything I remember about you. Of course, I didn't get on till '98. Uh huh. Um, was out of Sevens. Yeah, like you just kind of had that identity. Yeah, I worked there as a medic on the squads and riding the engine also, and then uh, yeah, then. Uh, I just, I grew up in that area, so I really mm. liked it. So I felt real at home at Sevens. Sure. And the layout of the station worked for me. Whereas Fours, I hated that layout. I don't know why. And Tens also. I just didn't yeah. like the way the stations were laid out. Yeah. But. Uh, so question about your driving time. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were saying about the road rage, uh -huh. I kept picturing Pellegrino. Did you guys drive around the same time period? Oh, I'm sure we did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know when he got promoted to driver, but if you were a, things worked so differently back then. If you were a relief driver out of station one, you were used all the time. So I, I was driving more than a lot of, a lot of promoted drivers. Sure. And, uh, I really liked it at first, and I just found myself going down this rabbit hole of rage. <laughs> well, at least you noticed it, right? Yeah, I did. You know, some and people I, get caught at stations or in positions, and they're angry and they're tired and they don't recognize it. Exactly. And it changes their personality, and people start telling them, hey, like maybe you need a break, and then something inside of them and us doesn't accept that. Exactly. You know what I'm saying, and, and so we, I keep trying to tell people, like, get out before you, you realize that it's being real hard well, on that, you because you've been, yeah, you've been hard on other people for a long time, and it's time for you to. Well, and there's take so many different avenues we can take in this career, yeah. in this career, and that's what's so awesome about it. And, uh, but I tell people that story a lot about my driving career because, you know, I drove for four or five years, I even drove as a medic sometimes out of station eight, and I was a relief driver then, but. It didn't happen that often, so I was okay. But when I was driving consistently, yeah. I just wasn't happy. And I, I couldn't figure it out at first, and then I was so angry. Her, I think Herb Guck pointed it out to me. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, a pretty, even, he's pretty even keeled <laughs> guy, though, too. You know what I mean? So he's... Yeah, and he, he used was, to be a driver. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had that discussion. I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. I can't sustain a whole career as this. <laughs> so I knew that, and... Uh, I was real. I really liked medicine, though. I really enjoyed paramedicine a lot. Yeah. So it was a real blessing for me to change paths that way. I like. I like hearing that. I was the exact opposite. When I came on, I had every intention to be a firefighter paramedic on the job. Really? Yep. And it wasn't until right before I got on probation, um, Chief Lorich at the time asked me. He's like, "Hey, do you know what you can do to help the job?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "You can be a relief driver." And that's what sent me down the driving path. And as soon as I started driving, realized that I didn't want to be a medic anymore. So the exact opposite of, Interesting. of, of your experience. I wonder how yeah. many people come on the job with this impression of who they're going to be. And then by the end of their career, you know, come out completely different. Or exactly. Have run a different path. And the important thing about that is for people to share that with other people. Sometimes I think people don't change because they don't know it's okay to. Mm -hmm. Yes. And... Um, hey, this was a mistake I made. And if we share those things, I think that makes 
makes it easier for others to understand that they're not on that path alone. Sure. And I knew paramedic right away wasn't for me. Yeah. Like, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, let alone dosages. I'd be like, I think it's this, and dumping some medicine into somebody, and oh, they died. Eh. You know, so it was probably better than short attention span. Like, hey, just five minutes to get to a call. I'm good. I can remember that. But yeah, um, yeah I couldn't, I couldn't really. <laughs> so you say short attention span, it just, it kind of plays into your nine months of being a promoted driver too. Like 11. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just find that funny. I mean, the short attention span, short time as a driver. I mean, at least you've been an officer and continue to promote through the officer ranks to yeah. battalion chief. But. Yeah. I'm not responding to that. <laughs> it's not about me. It's just about Fred today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I did, it needed to be pointed out. Uh, so sorry, Fred. 73. When you stepped out of, you go from sevens to 73? No, I went to, uh, from sevens, I went to station 21, opened up that station. That's right. I'd never opened up a station. Yeah. And it was really funny at that time. It, it was funny because I loved sevens and I didn't want to leave. And Rich Brown was the chief at that time. And he, we sat down and had a conversation. He was like, Fred, we need to let our newer lieutenants get into these busy stations because, you know, they're they're kind of stuck in these slower houses and they need the experience and I was like oh, I totally understand chief you know and we talked about it and I thought about it a lot and I'm like I'm getting older I'm tired I'll go to a slower station I'd love to open up a station I'd never done that in my career so I bid to 21s and I thought man this is cool some young guy will get in there so the second I bid out of sevens that's when Les Chapel bid in oh, okay sevens. yeah so that made a lot of yeah, sense that, that worked out well <laughs> but it was good because I left those guys in good hands and he did a great job there and I think he really liked it he lived in that area too so yeah. that was that was by his house so that worked out well for him then I went to 21s and we opened up that house and that was an experience uh, to say the least, it was interesting to watch that process yeah. happen. And uh, from there, I went to uh, 73. You've been 73 how long? Seven years now. Yeah. Longest place you've been? Uh, sevens would be the longest. I stayed yeah. there probably altogether probably 13, yeah. 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to the better half. Yes. Like I told the you chief. earlier, the only reason I, I asked you here is so Cindy would come out and hang, <laughs> the hang chief, out with me. My chief at home. That's right. That's right. Cindy, did you change your name to Varnell? Yes, I did. Whoa. Okay. So Cindy Varnell. <laughs> I'm stuck with it, too, I think. <laughs> See, and they have this rapport because a lot of people don't know Cindy and used to live next door. We were neighbors. We neighbors. Were neighbors, yeah. One. Yes. Oh my God! We moved in. I think our houses in like 1999. I think yeah, I think so yeah. because I want to say we moved in in 2000. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, we actually talked about getting Laura in here as well. Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> and we had we had a good time. You you threw oh, we our had a great time. You threw our like wedding party. Yes. You, yes. Yeah, we did everything together. Yeah. I would say yeah, especially her and Laura. They were back and forth. They. You know, I could have moved in with her ex-husband, and she could have moved in with Laura, yeah. my wife, and everything would have been just fine. Yeah. She always speaks so, I don't know, lovingly is not the word. Fondly? Fondly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She <laughs>, laughs about it all the time. It was Karaoke machines. And yes, it was a good time. Yes. We had some great parties. We did. We did. That's when we wore younger man's clothes. <laughs> yes. Just Billy Joel. I wish you didn't get that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, 
how you kind of your journey to get here how you met that <laughs> that. that would be fred yes okay um, you know and and <laughs> most people don't know that you were work for pd um and I have a story related to that. It's not real funny, but it's okay. it an interesting story. <laughs> okay. Nonetheless. So you, but you <laughs> no, go first. No, I'm really curious. Yeah. Um, so anyway, how I met Fred. Uh, I, was, uh, I was divorced, and I was not real... I didn't. I didn't want to get involved with anybody really ever again. Actually, you know how that goes. <laughs> never say never. And I had a good friend, uh, Mary Weaver. And um, she wanted to hook me up with this fire guy. And she was actually dating Chris Weaver at the time. And I loved Chris. I thought he was great. But I just said, God, you know, Mary, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about a firefighter. (laughs) (laughs) I I just don't know. (laughs) You were smart. (laughs) I just just don't know. So we kind of talked about it. And I decided, okay, well, I'll at least meet him. So I was with her and Chris one day, and we were having lunch downtown. I can't remember where. And she, uh, or Chris called Fred, actually, and he was busy working on his motorcycle. So he couldn't come. At that time, he had a motorcycle. Uh, and he couldn't come. And I figured, well, you know, that's that's just fine, you know. So, um, and then, uh, I don't know how, a couple months had passed or something. And then we had another uh, good friend that was getting married. And uh, she was having a bachelorette party downtown. And so we went downtown and had visited a few bars. And we ended up at the Ritz. It, well, it was the Ritz then. It's Colorado Craft now, I think. But anyway, mm-hmm. we ended up at the Ritz. And uh, I was there with Mary. And uh, she said something. She goes, oh, my God, there's Fred. And, and I thought, well, hey, I'll go meet him. Well, he apparently he, uh, was on a, on a blind date that night. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> <But> Mary, <laughs> But she went over and introduced me to him anyway. And I thought, well, God, he's really nice. Seems like a fun guy, but he's on a date. So this, you know, I just, it just never, uh, you know, seemed to, to be the right, right place at the right time. But... A um, couple days later, uh, Chris Weaver, um, her boyfriend at the time, um, had Fred had talked to Chris and said, "Hey, you got to set me up with her." <laughs> so, <laughs> so that kind of situation uh, got uh, got set up, and we were actually going to do a double date with Chris and Mary up to Denver. Well, Fred apparently had had a horrible case of the flu that day. But he didn't want me to know because he, you know, really wanted to go on this date, and he told Chris not to tell me he'd been throwing up all day long. <laughs> why? Why he thought that was going to stop when we went on the date? I'm not sure. I thought it was going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to go on this date. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we went and picked Fred up, and he he literally was the color of green when he got in the truck and chris by the way had told me he said hey i'm not supposed to tell you but fred's been sick all day and i'm like oh my god well why are we doing this we don't have to do this gee i hope he's contagious thanks a lot <laughs> yes, what a great day yes. so it, was, the flu. it was covid <laughs> no not then it wasn't so anyway he got in the car and he was this awful shade of green and he was profusely sweating and i thought this is not going to happen. <laughs> so we got about a block away, and Fred told Chris, "Hey, can you, can you please turn around? I got to go back to the house." I'm like, "And I think that's it." <laughs> so anyway, needless to say, the date had ended right there. <laughs> but um, 
couple days later, I, I actually got Fred's phone number from Chris. I'm like, I'm, I'll just go ahead and call him back. And he felt terrible, literally and figuratively, <laughs> I guess. But uh, And then we set up our own date probably a week after that, I think, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And uh, we went out that night and it was kind of a really fast-moving you know, I, I, I would be the person with my friends that would always say if they were getting into a relationship really quickly, you know, you know, what are you doing? You know, moving so quickly, this, you know, slow it down a little bit. But then I was that person. So we went on our first date in October and got married on New Year's Eve. So in, in <laughs> Vegas? Is this no. Uh, no, no, no. We had a surprise <laughs> wedding at her house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just had a party right. over the New Year's Eve party. Had a bunch of people over. Yeah. Then we had this minister come over that we slipped fifty so bucks. Said, I don't know what it cost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those guys. Anyway, he came over and everybody was like, "Who's this guy?" You know. And then surprised I made a little everybody. speech and surprised everybody, and we got married. <laughs> it shocked him. Yeah. Yeah. So and we're coming up on uh, fourteen years. Fourteen actually. years. Yeah. yeah. So, so he was only the only thing are. that he was married just a little bit less than you was Station Seven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and after that first date, that's quite a first date story. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. awesome. All of ten minutes, ten yeah. minute long date. If, if that, if that, yeah, if that. If it that. wasn't long. I was like, I can't drive to Denver. I was, I was going to throw off. It was awful. Yeah, he, he yeah, it was great. Off. It was real romantic. <laughs> so PD, tell us a little bit about PD and your experience not only in PD, but how it, where you guys were married when you were in the police department, right? Mm -hmm. And how does that, how does that affect your relationship? Well, she started, she started the academy right after we got married. Right okay. after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, so. Right after. Um, so anyway, uh, it, it, it was, it was quite a ride. I mean, you know, going through the academy and uh, being on PD, it had its ups and downs. It was, it was awesome and terrible all at the same time. Let me interrupt you because i got to tell this story. <laughs> okay. So she's in the academy, okay. and they're doing um, some kind of control thing where they're fighting each other. I'm at Station 7, and we get tapped out to the police academy for an injury. And I went, that's my wife. And I told the squad, I said, you stay here. The engine's it. taking it. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I didn't think it. I knew it. I knew it was her. So we drive emergent up to the academy, and there she said she dislocated her shoulder. So I'm starting an IV and giving her fentanyl and stuff, and uh, it was just crazy. It was the weirdest experience, and AMR was there, and uh, so we load Cindy in the ambulance, and first PD, PD wants to take everybody in POV in, in like a squad car. And I remember looking at your training officer, and I pointed at him. I said, she's going by ambulance, and that's the way this is going. I was really pissed. <laughs> I was pissed because she was hurt. And, you know, so anyway, took her to the, to the hospital. And I, I kept talking to her very personally. And AMR's medic kept looking at me really weird, like, why would you talk to a patient this way? <laughs> couldn't figure it out. There was no connection. Then, then when we got there, I was telling the nurse as we walked in the history and what was going on. I said, this is my wife. And the medic looked at me. He goes, oh, my God, now I understand. He goes, I couldn't figure out why you were talking about that. And You're I was really like, yeah. Was with your patients. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was an interesting part of it. Yeah. yeah so it's um, – it it was it was fascinating. It was really kind of the best front seat to the world's carnival. I guess <laughs> is a good way to put it. Um, it's 
It 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 had it's it's um like I said, it had it up, its ups and downs, but it was also it's very difficult on a marriage. It takes a very 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 special person, male or female, to be successful at being a police officer and and you know filling out that full career. Um, it's very difficult. I mean, you know, our schedules were completely off almost all of the time which was you know something you can kind of get used to but um you know like he said his road rage with driving um i found myself <laughs> in a constant rage for pretty much no reason so it it uh it takes a really special person sure um and it it it, it took a toll on us too yeah, you know there's there's no doubt about it and so you know after about six and a half years so i didn't do a full career with pd which you know was a bittersweet um thing because i i loved it but it was it's tough you know um and even now it's tougher and got its own different sets of uh challenges but uh but we decided that it just it was either going to be pd or or us and so we we chose us it was just just took its toll okay it's working out so far so oh, yeah. well, probably made the right yeah. choice well, yes, it was very interesting so. <laughs> for me i learned a great deal as a company officer about pd i did several ride-alongs with her and uh <laughs> all the officers were great it was fun but at the same time uh i gained a real appreciation for what they go through and what they what they have to put up with in their job and how we don't understand it. So I approached administration at that time and I was like, it just isn't feasible to do this, but I was like, every company officer needs to do a, a ride with a cop for a mm -hmm. shift and just see what that world is like because we get impatient with them. Hell, I did for a long time. You know, I was like, well, why, why don't I have a cop here? You know, and I couldn't understand. But when I rode with her a couple times, I went, oh, I get this now. But um, you knew Cindy before, and Cindy was always the life of the party. Mm -hmm. She loved people, loved being in the mix with a, a million people, you know, just thrived in that. And so I watched her slowly not want to be around other people. And that wasn't the person I knew when mm -hmm. I met her. And uh, that's what was so fascinating about her and attractive about her was her personality that way. And PD, it wasn't... It's just the nature of that job. You don't trust anybody. And I saw that deteriorate from her. So that's what led to that conversation because she just wasn't the same person. Anymore. Have you have you got some of that back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it it took a while. It, it, took it a, takes a while. And you don't yeah. even the, the I, I would say, the most well-rounded person. It, it definitely tests you. It definitely tests you. But, yeah, I, I got it back. You know. Do you remember the call on Christmas Eve? Mm -hmm. Okay. You and I, I think, were on a shooting call together. Oh, was that over in Stetson? No, it was in Tens area. So it was just it was just south of Copperhead Road. Yes. And there was a, like a yes. kid involved. Yes. Yeah, I say was, Stetson. I'm sorry. Yeah, the yeah. Stetson division. Yeah, sorry, it's a it wasn't. Very, it was a very weird call. But yes. on the way to the call, a PD officer got in a traffic accident. Was that at an academy? And academy in Austin Bluffs. I went on that call. Yep. No, I know. And that's why that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> that's so right. It was a very weird call because we, we cleared your call and 
the crews there had called Sevens for assistance, and it came out that PD was in a traffic accident, and he couldn't raise anybody on the radio. Yeah. And so when you got there, I'm thinking singular on your mind was to make sure that it wasn't Cindy. Oh, absolutely. You know, because I got there just (laughs) right as or just after you did. Yeah. And it was one of those calming the chaos calls. Like there was people running all over the place, like this cops cruiser. The engine was like in the driver compartment. You know, we're trying to figure out there was no other cops there. So, we're you know, and this cop's like handing us guns and stuff like that. We're like (laughs) trying to like set it on the hood, you know, very delicately. But I remember hearing in your voice on the radio the concern. And I you can tell us what you thought. But my thought was that because nobody was talking to you, we were somehow telling you that it was Cindy. Yeah. Right. And we didn't want to say it on the radio. Exactly. It was just really chaotic. So. That's what, that's exactly what I thought. Cause when we took off, we, it was a TA trapped and we were headed there. Tens got there, gave a size up and they said it was a PD cruiser. Then they asked for another engine company and that was us. Um, and I was like, okay. And we were going and I kept trying to raise them. And there was, there was a t- channel discrepancy. They went to four, but they hadn't called for it yet. So we were on one. So mm-hmm. I kept calling, you know, what's your status? What do you have? And they wouldn't answer me. And I, I, I think at that time, Clay Chilton was my driver. And I looked over and I was like, uh, oh, God, I hope this isn't Cindy. I said, I think this is Cindy. Oh, my God. So uh, we were cruising as fast as we could there, you know. And we got there and AMR was all the – AMR EMT knew the police officer, so she was freaking out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny when you get on scene and people are freaking out. You're like, okay, should I be freaking out? Is there something yeah. that I don't know about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, when we got there, um, I can't remember who was on the truck there. But anyway, so I talked to them and I looked over and I could see that it wasn't Cindy. So that was just this huge burden off of me, and that. And that's something I you can't describe to other people when your spouse is a police officer. Because mm-hmm. I know spouses of firefighters go through this too, but people aren't actively trying to harm us most of the time. It happens, but that's mm-hmm. not people's main objectives in life. Uh, where PD is a different story. So the spouses of police officers, it's it's harder than you think. When she'd go to work, it was it's something I had to put out of my mind. And I think that's why you could hear that because then it became yeah, obviously that, up front. Yeah, so what so the the AMR crew knew the PD officer. Yeah. There was a child safety seat sitting in the middle of the road with that's no right. child in it. That's right. Um because somebody had come and taken the child out of the seat and didn't tell anybody. So we can't find the kid. The person in the accident is, no, my kid's here, my kid's here, my kid's Mm -hmm. here. It was just a really, right after the shooting that had a kid involved on Christmas Eve, it Mm -hmm. was just a bizarre two hours of events. Yeah. You know, and I think I even talked to you on scene. Oh, yeah. And I I go, no, Cindy's right up the road. She's good. (laughs) Just saw her. That's right. Yeah. Just saw her. She's fine. Yeah. And uh, um, you don't know what that meant to me, you know. And at that time, even with that police officer, I knew it wasn't her. But to hear that made everything all better yeah. you know and then and then the scene came together then everything started coming together yeah. and we got that guy out and he wasn't 
I don't think he was hurt that bad. He I was knocked remember. for a loop. I, Brian Lynch kind of took control of that scene. Yeah. Um, he was a driver at TENS at the time. Yes. And he kind of just, because of how the AMR crew was tried to take care of them, okay, we're now we're taking care of PD. <laughs> oh, they just handed me the gun. I don't know what to do with it. You know, and everybody knows Brian shouldn't have a gun in his hand, you know, because he'll drop it or something. And, um but yeah, he kind of took. He did a really good job of taking control of that incident and kind of figuring everything out yeah. until some officers could get there to yeah to, to manage it. And then uh, yeah, and then when we when you can start handing assignments and people are getting more task oriented, that's when the scene calmed down. Everything yeah. got better. AMR got calmed down and yeah, got got to take care of the officer at that time. But that's a weird dynamic. And, oh yeah. Yeah. Cindy, I'm, I'm curious, so with your background with PD, how has that changed your relationship um, with the understanding of kind of how we operate? And the reason why I ask is because a lot of us, you know, have significant others that don't understand what we do from day to day. Mm -hmm. And now you've got this inside perspective. And so what does that mean for your relationship? So, because, yeah, both of us learned a lot about each other's, you know, you know, what they did and how they did it, why they did it. Um, but understanding, you know, I think a really good, a good example to ex answer that is when Waldo Canyon was going on. Because I don't think we saw each other for almost two weeks. Mm -hmm. It was almost a two week straight because PD, we went on mandatory 12 hour shifts, which meant you end up, ended up working 14 or 15 hours. So we literally didn't see each other. So I think understanding, you know, what he was doing with his job, because I mean, Waldo was just a whole other I was actually with Fred situation. on yes. the night that... Uh, were you really? <laughs> we yeah. were. Okay. Yeah. We were together. So I was with him. You were yeah. on, I was no. there. <laughs> but I mean, just, just knowing that, you know, he was, you know, him and all the other thousands of firefighters were doing whatever they could. I think just, it was actually not so much, there wasn't a big question mark as to what he was doing. I, I, I knew what he was doing. Um, and it just, I had full faith in, you know, his ability and everybody else's ability. And, um, yeah. and it's interesting. The reason why I ask is because, you know, we have a lot of younger people coming on the job now and that haven't been in the fire service or have spouses that don't really understand it. And I think it is hard for us to learn how to communicate back and forth between, you know, the firefighter and, and the spouse. And it takes a long time. I mean, I've been on this job for 20 years and I'm still learning things about how to communicate about the job to, you know, mm -hmm. to my wife. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are things that, you know, new people coming on the job, it's good for them to hear, you know, of, yeah. of how that, yeah. you know, kind of helped with your relationship, having an understanding that what, of what he was doing and that he was okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's interesting because I know some people are real guarded with their spouse about some of the things we are exposed to. Cindy and I were exposed to a lot of the same things. She'd come home sometimes and tell me things that truly to this day horrify me. I, I, I can't believe what I heard. And it was just awful, some of the things that happened. And I, I just, and I'd been through a lot of things on this job. I've seen about everything you can see. And uh, she would tell me things that I was like, oh my God. But we were like, we kind of had that bond, I think, don't you? Yeah, well, and I think if you have, 
you have faith. Like I said, if you have faith in the other person's ability, because I, 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 I know Fred's a strong person. He knows I'm a strong person. I think it just uh, kind of sounds like a lame answer, but it just kind of is what it is. You just, it just is what it is, you know? Well, and you're and, there, you can you can sympathize with each other because you've, you've yeah. walked a mile in each of those shoes. Yeah. So you're, you're, yeah. you're probably each other's best support. Yeah, I imagine because you could yeah. speak the same language. You could, you know, you know what each others was were feeling, and so. And we knew when to. I knew when to stop asking. Yeah. That I think that would be the hard part for yeah. other spouse, because yeah, in my first marriage, point. my wife then would always say, "Well, what happened?" And well, what happened then? You know, and you, there was just sometimes you just can't talk about certain things for a while, mm-hmm. and and you can't tell somebody, "Hey, let me talk to you about this in a month." You know, maybe I can talk about it better then, mm-hmm. but. And I think Cindy and I could understand that with each other, where I think with other spouses that aren't in this field wouldn't understand that. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. the issues that I've kind of battled over the years. Yeah. Is how do I express, how do I put into words, you know, the experience that we had with the crew? Yeah. But, you know, and mm-hmm. then I look at you guys' relationship, and I'm like, what a perfect, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of complications that go along with it. Oh, but yeah. on the relationship side, it seems like it'd be a really great way to just really understand each other well. Yeah. But yet we could see it. Yeah. I can see that career really harming her. I always, I always put it this way, and it's not for all police officers, but that job truly damages your soul. It's just, and then you have to remember she worked nights because she was the new person, so she didn't get good hours. So she worked nights, and then when they have to go to court, they go to court. And it's not like you get, oh, you went to court all day, now, oh, you get the night off. No, you go to work. So you go to court all day, and then you go the night shift. And then if you go to court the next day, you go to court. And I couldn't understand this. I had a really hard time with that because it, it made me angry. But they don't have the staff to do it any other way. Did you yeah. tell well, her, you're like, you've worked 72 hours. You're coming home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but so. I do think if, I mean, for every spouse, you know, I don't know how many people outside the fire department listen to this, but I think your, your best hint is that when they say they don't want to talk about it, you tr- it, it, honestly, you probably don't want to hear about it. If they say, because they, like you said, they've seen all kinds of horrible things. And if they say they don't want to talk about it, you don't want to hear about it because it's just. Well, and this happened just the other night. Cindy was yeah. like, oh, do you have a tough day? Because she can tell. Was yeah. Like, it was pretty tell. hard. And she goes, well, what happened? I said, I can't talk about it. She was like, okay. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just have to, you have to, you have to let it be. And you can't, it's not, you know, that they're holding something back from you. Well, technically, I guess they are, but nothing that's, you know, going to affect your personal relationship. It's just, you know, some things you just don't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I guess from that perspective, you know, you've lived it once and sometimes you don't want to relive it again yeah. by telling the story yeah. over and over yeah. and over again. But then what yeah. spouses don't understand is that you will tell it to other fire guys a yeah. hundred times mm-hmm. because there's healing in that, which we learned through peer support and stuff. Sometimes because there's a camaraderie there and you hate to have your spouse not be, be in one of the group, but they aren't. They're not one of you. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Yeah, let me, I was uh, just reading a book. I won't promote the book right now, but um, <laughs> Dave Grossman wrote it. And the words he used were pain shared is pain divided. And when I heard that, it it completely, you know, 
uh, kind of speaks to what you're talking about. When yeah. you're sitting with the people that were either on the call or have been on one that's similar, and you talk about that, you're kind of dividing up that pain that you have. And you know, the flip side of that is um, joy shared is joy multiplied. So there's more to it, but um, I, I appreciate that when I read it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So true, yeah. You don't want to talk about the horrible calls, but you want to talk about delivering the baby. Yeah, yeah. Right? exactly. You know, and that's the one you share with everybody. And, yeah. You know, because it makes other people smile and it makes you smile because it was joy multiplied. Joy <laughs> multiplied. Good. Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious, going back to your academy, our academies are a little bit different now. <laughs> and so I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about what your academy was like for when the people that are coming on now, you know, that are going through today's academy, you know, what's the difference? It's really, it's fascinating because I was talking to, uh, who was it? It was either Dan Romero or somebody that I came on with. We were talking about our academy and how different they are actually because we were, It's it was very it was still obviously they have to be structured, but it was very loosely structured. And um, it's funny how our department worked back then. And you know, we had the Quonset huts out there. The Naval Base was our training academy by Prospect Lake. Um, they were doing some remodeling in there. So this is kind of funny. So they knew I was a drywall contractor. So when they would let the academy go early, and they told me to bring my drywall tools to, <laughs> to the academy. So I would bring my tools, and then uh, Frank Mastis was also a drywall guy, and I'd hang the sheetrock, and Frank would finish it. So they'd let my academy go, and I'd stay, and I'd hang sheetrock. <laughs> so that's how you did things back then. Mark Fisher was an electrician. Uh, uh, did we have an HR department back then? <laughs> <laughs> we did, but it was different. And, uh, yeah, so it was. That's just the way things were back then. You just they. If you worked for the fire department, and you had a skill set. You were used by the fire department for that skill set, and that's you just you didn't ever question things like that. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah. I never thought a second thing about <laughs> it. So we did that. But our academy, you know, we had um, all the uh, the didactic like we do now and it was it was a tough and we'd practice that stuff and but like our physical fitness training you could go play basketball you could walk the lake you could just study it wasn't structured that way like we are now and um, so there was no real evaluation of that part of uh, the fire academy until you went on fire ground drills and stuff to see if you could actually physically do the work. Um, I think we do so much better job evaluating people now because once when I came on, there were people that left or uh, didn't make it through the academy, but that didn't happen often at all through the mm -hmm. years that I, I came on. And um, so it wasn't as structured as well and there's a lot more evaluation we do of employees now than we used to. Um, the we didn't do things as repetitively, so we and there was no testing like somebody watched you throw a ladder and either you threw the ladder or you didn't. That where there was no documentation yeah. to whether Fred Varnell could throw a ladder. It was like he can or he can't. If he can't, we show him how, and he better know how. You just better know how to do it, and yeah. you did it. So that's are you, the are you from the can't handle smoke era? No, thank God. No, that was that was. We all had uh, 
we they had SCBAs obviously, yeah. you know, but uh, we were expected to wear our SCBAs, but that wasn't real a hard rule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I always wore mine, except you know we didn't wear masks on uh, dumpster fires and stuff sure. that can really hurt you. And uh, my funny story about that is I'll never forget it. And I taught this when I was in the cadre about. Uh, fires and stuff because I'll never forget I opened a booster line in a dumpster fire and it hit the back wall of the dumpster went down along the bottom came up and hit me in the mouth and it just no the other way around I dropped it straight down it went across and came back and hit me in the mouth I wasn't wearing a mask and there was all sorts of stuff oh, in this dumpster. Was there in my garbage? Mouth. No. Dumpster? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> diapers Baby and all. diapers. Yeah. yeah. It, was all in there. Mind. it hit me in the mouth and I just remember thinking I, I pretended it didn't happen, and I was drinking water out, you know, washing my mouth out. So I told guys the importance of wearing a mask just isn't for respiratory protection. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it keeps your face covered. You're not getting eyes full of junk and stuff from dumpsters or fires. Yeah, so. dumpsters and car fires. We didn't wear, uh-uh. even when I came on, we didn't really yeah. do that. And, and I remember hacking and coughing that stuff up. Yeah, and Larry Thomas came to our academy and he was doing the oxygen then and had found out he was having lung troubles and gave yeah. the speech to our academy and you know and we were we're gonna wear it and then we get out there and it's just not something we did at the time well you uh, shared in masks i mean you you had one mask on the truck for, yeah we, yeah, I mean, we had our masks. own at that time yeah. oh did you so, yeah and it was the old msa with the tube and all yeah. that and all that stuff um but just we just didn't yeah and it's, it wasn't a good choice. I'd never say, hey, yeah, that was yeah, that was so fun. That was awesome because it really wasn't. It wasn't fun at all. No, no. I mean, you're just like you could hardly fight the fire because you're gagging so much. Well, when I came on, like I said, we had one, one mask per person. Yeah. And that was for all three shifts. I mean, it was for that engine. And so you'd wash your mask every day, you know, rinse it out. You'd always go, did you have a fire? Did you wear your mask? No. Sometimes you wouldn't wash it out and yeah. wish you had. But... Yeah, those old hose ones. Remember, they were like a vacuum cleaner yep. if you had them on. Yep. They'd suck up into your mask. They were awful. Well, they and that's what we we had learned. If you run out of air, put it in your coat. Put it in your pocket. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then it'll filter it. And there's always garbage and junk. And we <laughs> always had the same turnout. So there's, you know, insulation from five fires ago in your pocket. And you're, you're sucking and that yeah. up. Oh, oh it's yeah, awful. It was, it was nasty. <laughs> under your armpit. Did you ride? Uh, you didn't ride tailboard, right? No. I want to no. say I think Chief Dalton might be the last person on the job right now that that rode tailboard. I think so too. Yeah. How, how about for backing? Did you guys back on the tailboard or anything uh, like that? They told us no. We didn't. We never rode the tailboard. That was really pushed in our academy. We might have been the first academy that didn't do that. Um, yeah. They just they said never get on the tailboard. And, you know, you had to watch those horrifying videos of firefighters that got run over. And uh, so, yeah, we didn't do that. Uh, always had backers uh, when guys were backing up, but never on the tailboard to do it. So it was different, though. Our equipment was different. It's so much better today. All open cabs as far as the back seats go. Um, so it was freezing at night. and. Oh, it was so hot in the winter or in the summer. Mm-hmm. That cowling would just get smoking hot, so we put blankets over yeah. so you wouldn't burn your arms. It was good, in the, the, good in the winter, though. Oh, it was. That's how yeah. you kept warm. Kept the wool bl- you pick up the wool blanket, wool blanket. put it over in the heat. Yeah, yeah the heat would from but the I'm going to ask this question out. for Josh. I know this is something that he's, he's super interested in. How do you think leadership 
and leadership styles have changed from when you got on to now? Huh, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, well, while you're thinking about that, uh -huh. I'll just I'll say one thing. There are certain leaders on our job that people follow. They go to the stations that that person goes to another station and they follow them. And since I've been on, you've always been that lieutenant where you've had a core group of people that seems to stay with you and want to be with you. And I always, I get so curious. I'm like, what is it? You know, what is that thing that that particular person has that attracts other people to them? So I think that's another reason why I'm really interested in the question. So sorry to interrupt. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, uh, I'll speak to that first. The crews that followed me, we, it was funny because you get this dynamic, and I found as I get older, it, it's kind of age-oriented, some of it. Guys of the same generation, you know, that actually know what disco was. <laughs> you know, we hung together a little yeah. bit because we kind of liked that. You but, the bars, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I think leadership now is, is just like my academy and how I described it with this, our academies now, it's more structured. We didn't even have ICS when I came on. We didn't have incident command. You went to a fire and the chief showed up and ran it, but not really. Everybody was kind of doing their thing and fires just went out. Then ICS was introduced about my second or third year on the job in about 93, 94 as I remember, and uh, that's when Incident Command kind of came into play. But I think about the officers that I've had, and to speak about leadership, it's funny. Uh, back then we didn't have the bid system, obviously. The bid system has a two-edged sword, because at that time, chiefs were able to see employees function, and they knew kind of if a guy needed a different type officer, they could put him there and they would get that experience. I always told people that worked with me, please do not stay here and let me be your example of a company officer, uh, your only example. Use use the good things that you see from me and, and learn from the bad things that I've done or do and please get experience with other people because you need to see how other people lead crews because everybody has different styles and ways of doing things. Mine is not the only way. I recognize that, I came on at 30 years old so I recognize that early. So I worked with Herb Guck and I worked with Roger Mounts and they had two different styles. Roger Mounts was an investigator so I learned a whole different side of firefighting working for him as I did Herb Guck who was a driver and just a really solid fire guy. And um, it's really funny, his leadership style was he was the leader and that was that. We, we never questioned, I never thought to question Herb. I don't even know what would have happened if I would have questioned Herb. I, he just told me to do things and I did them. Um, uh, it's a new era and people look at things differently now and it's I think it's hard for guys my age to understand younger people now coming on it's not good or bad it's just different and um, I think for my leadership I can only speak to my own I always tried to be who I was I one of my downsides is I'd probably think I'm the funniest guy in the room at all times I'm not always that but I like to have a good time when I do things. 
But when things, when it's business, business is business. When we went out the door, everybody in my crew knew that that's when we were doing business. We didn't jack around on scenes and do that. Um, when the call was over, we had a good time. And I think that's why people like to work with me, I think. Um, outside perspectives are interesting sometimes when you hear things about yourself and your leadership style. You learn from that too when people give you input. So I always encourage people to look for that and give that to other people. Even um, when it's even when it's difficult. Even when it's difficult, <laughs> yes. especially when it's difficult. Yes. Because I've heard things uh, from guys like Jose Garcia, gave me really good feedback on my leadership style, and I respected it, and I learned from it and changed because of it. And I gave him feedback that I think he did the same. But we respected each other. Uh, leadership has to have a lot of respect involved for the people that work I hate to say under you but with you and those that work above you you know what I can see in you is that to the one word that comes to my mind is honesty um, and then the second one would be self-awareness and I think like you as a as a leader kind of being honest about who you are and understanding who you are I feel like that's something that really plays into what makes you you know the leader that you are and what makes people follow you my perspective you know when i well, I, I try to like i analyze these a little bit and i'm like okay what is it about this part what does this yeah. person do and you some know, of the best feedback i've ever gotten is when i started talking to the new recruits about uh forcible entry and and my failure on a call that and i got so much out of that it was so beneficial for me but i was shocked at how beneficial it was for the cadres that the people that came up and talked to me that experienced that 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 uh, class I give that that speech I give on that and how much it meant to them and and new recruits come up to me now uh, that I'd given that speech to and and tell me how much it meant to them and I think I was never afraid to be wrong and and. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I was never afraid of losing my job. I never thought I'd lose my job because I jacked something up on scene or I did something incorrectly. I just never was in fear of my job. I didn't think anybody was ever af after my position. And um, so I was very always open and honest. I tried to come across that way. And if I messed up, I told people about it. I wasn't afraid. I, I, I've been, I tell guys a lot as company officers, I've been written up as a company officer way more than I ever was as a paramedic or a firefighter. Mm -hmm. And because I, I'd done stuff that was stupid, you know, I'd truly done some stupid things. And um, nobody was trying to fire me for it. They just, you know, I, I learned from it, but I shared that with others. And that was really beneficial for me as a leader to be able to share. Couple things. Yeah. Um. Why did Cindy nod her head when you said you'd done stupid things? <laughs> <laughs> She's been a witness. She's like, oh, really yeah. stupid things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, and I like that you said that um, you just were yourself. Uh, so many times we get people, and the most immediate example is Jocko Willick. Uh, uh -huh. Willick. I'm sorry. Well, it's Jocko. Yeah. Jocko. Everybody knows he's yeah. the extreme ownership guy, right? Yeah. You know, people read that book and then they try to become Jocko. And it's like, that's, you know, that's him being a leader. That's not you being a leader. Exactly. And, and you mentioned, you know, take, take the good and bad from everybody that you work for, you know, and with and be yourself. You know, yeah. allow yourself to be the leader that you can be 
through your personality and don't, don't try to be Jocko or, or some other, whoever the flavor of the month leader is. Um, so I think that's a really great, great piece of well, advice. And if, if you're open and honest about it too, who you are will change as a leader. You will, you mature as a leader, just like you do as a medic or a driver or as a firefighter. You don't start off as who you're going to be five years from now or a year from now, because you mature as in that position and uh, you get more comfortable in situations that you're in. And uh, it's just really important I've found, and it's been beneficial. I can't, every time I tried to be somebody else, I was a total failure. And I think we've seen that happen to other people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, they get into a position and they try to be what they think it should be. And if you're any, if you're not just, you're just not being honest with yourself then, because you still have to be who you are. And I was told it shocked me at one point. Uh, chief officer that I really respected told me one time before I got promoted, he wasn't really sure if I should be promoted as an officer because I was always laughing. And I, I remember looking at him and I said, do you ever remember, remember me laughing on a fire scene or on a cardiac arrest or on a traffic accident? And he was like, well, no, but, you know, in the firehouse and stuff, I'm like, and I, I just remembered, I talked to him a little bit about it because it really bothered me. And I'm like, but that's who I've always been. I can't, I can't not be that guy. Hmm. You know, if I was, I'd be, I'd be miserable for me. I wouldn't be who I am can only fake it for so long that's right you know what i mean then the real you is going to come out anyway so exactly i just i love that you push that side of it saying hey i want you to be you you know when you as a leader creating leaders behind you you're not telling them i want you to be this person you know you're saying i want you to be who you are and that's going to help make you successful exactly and i tell guys too when they came to my station and they said they wanted me to help them become a company officer. And I could help them in certain aspects because I knew they were my strong suit. I was not the guy that could help them with policies and procedures and how to study for a written test. I wrote the cutoff score for my lieutenant's test. I was the last one they let into the oral boards. You know what we call you right now? <laughs> lieutenant. <laughs> lieutenant. <laughs> but I was number two on my oral boards. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I can help you with that. I can help you size things up and, and develop a plan to assign people to things. And I, I'm good with in-baskets and arranging things, but the, the part of studying and learning uh, all the things, I don't want to call it minutia because it's all so important, but all that stuff to get to where you need to be, I'm not that officer. So you need to find that guy and bid there. So don't make me your only example as a company officer. Got it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you touched on a lot of the leadership stuff that I was curious about and everything that you've said are things that I've seen in you. Even though we worked across shift, we, we mm-hmm. haven't worked on the same shift together. Um, but I think that for me, those are a lot of what you just talked about are a lot of things that I aspire to do. And I think it's because of the people that I've been around coming up on this job. It's, it's been, you know, a good experience in, and, in that you know, situation. It's interesting. You brought up Waldo when we rode together on yeah. engine seven, it was, it was just Josh and I, and it was funny because uh, this was one of the, the biggest things in my leadership style. I was never afraid of somebody else's experience. Because I don't know if you remember, you were talking, we were talking, I was like, wow, I've never seen this before. On on I-25 or when we were in the mountains? Because on (laughs) I-25, I remember you going, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I'm just driving, just staring, looking at this fire going, 
Oh my God! I, I actually I remember driving. At that point, I could not believe what I was seeing. I actually couldn't yeah. believe what I was seeing. This was the next day when we were on the mountain up there during the day. Yeah. It was just you and I, and I was like, well, you, "You were explaining why the wildland people were doing certain things." Because I always hated wildland firefight. I hated it. I'm sitting oh, right here. I know. <laughs> I just. Don't worry, Man. this was after I worked for you. <laughs> okay. It's just one of those things that I never really grew fond of. But you were like, oh, I'm, I'm from California. I used to do that, you know, and you started explaining everything. And I said, I'll never forget it. I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, hey, would you mind just kind of running the show and I'll just I'll talk on the radio? <laughs> you tell me what to say and I'll do it. And that was before we started delving into crew resource management. But that's what that was. I wasn't threatened by Josh. I was like, oh, you know you know what's going on? I don't. And I'm, I was the first one to go, I don't know what this is going on, what's going on here. And he did. It was, it was amazing to watch because he could explain everything that was happening, what these teams were coming and doing, why the flights went this way or that way and did this. And it was just really cool. And I was like, would you mind? And he was like, no, that'd be great. You know, so <laughs> he helped me through that. And I did that through my whole career. I can't tell you, and I don't know why it was always the drivers. As a company officer, my drivers, Mark Sperry, Mike Offit, Clay Chilton, those are the three that really stand out, and I apologize for the ones I didn't mention, but they, I think it's because you're both sitting forward and you have a different experience than the other crew in the back. But those guys always gave me input that was always spot on. When I was confused about something, Clay will be mad at me for bringing him up. He doesn't like the limelight in any way, but he always used to, I'll never forget, he used to always say, you sure you want to go that way, boss? With that, he'd always call me boss when he was trying to make a point. And I'd be like, well, do you think, what do you think's going on? He'd tell me, and I'd be like, yeah, you're right. And that's the way we'd go. And I tried to do that with all my crew members, especially during training. I'd tell new guys, if you've been somewhere else in your fire career, if you've been on another department, they did something a different way, let's try it. And if it works well for us, we'll adapt it, we'll adopt that and use that year at sevens. And if it's great, we'll, we'll submit it to the training division and try to make some changes if it's that awesome, you know? So I always tried to listen to other people and, and take their experiences and uh, use them to my benefit. <laughs> <laughs> why, wouldn't but, you know? why wouldn't you? But, Yes. I, it meant so much to me when we started having CRM classes where they talked about wildland specifically that the new guy kind of had a question about why would they were charging across a field and then everybody died. And, but he never said anything because he was afraid he'd be ridiculed or he was the new person. And I never understood that because that just never made sense to me personally. Yeah. So I always tried to use people as much as I could sure. use their knowledge. While we're in this position of trying to promote CSFD drivers, it's a yes. perfect opportunity <laughs> to say, I feel there's, you know, having been a driver, now being a company officer, there's a there's a special relationship between that officer and that driver's seat. Absolutely. And it might be because that driver is the one that gets to sit and look at the same thing the company officer is 
and get to hear it play out without having to have you as the company officer you're trying to figure out 20 different things as, at once where when i'm sitting in the driver's seat i'm listening to all this play out and i think you learn so much in that seat that can benefit you as a company officer down the road and oh I think absolutely it's, and i think it's important for our young people coming up in the organization now to know that like there's a lot of value in that in that position you know yeah. as a medic as well i mean you're constantly making decisions you know life-threatening or life-saving <laughs> i better say that decisions but you know in that seat as well so yeah exactly the it, they're different because everybody that's been a paramedic likes to dog the me- the drivers and the drivers like to dog the medics and that's just that's just fire department fun that's good stuff you know so as i as a uh, pro pay officer and stuff for all those years i used to give my drivers a hard time but i always told them mark sperry was amazing you know we'd go to alarm we'd go on calls and he'd be like oh this is going to be the third house yeah it's yellow and remember they have this brown couch and i was always like who are you what you know he knew all (laughs) sorts of stuff about every house in his district chris richardson was another one um, he didn't work uh, with me when I was an officer, but as a medic, he was an amazing driver. And he just knew things. And, and I think you're right. You get a different perspective riding forward and being in the front seat. And I think the driver benefits from that a great deal. Our medics are used to communicating with people. So they're really good. They should be really good communicators. Our drivers get that a different, different view of the world, I guess, that uh, in that position. Do you have a favorite... Uh, story from your career oh I'm sure I have a few you know I I, I wanted to make sure I told this story um, out of station 7 because you know I gave station 7 the name Harrow House I'm the one who (laughs) framed that and um, people misunderstand where that came from and uh, we had been we had been on a two set rally of really stupid calls. I mean calls that we shouldn't even, nobody should have called 911. It was ridiculous. We hadn't, you know, we hadn't saved one life. <laughs> we hadn't done anything purposeful at all. We kept going to calls and they were just so ridiculous. Like, it was just funny. And um, I'll never forget, it was late at night and we got back to a call and we're getting off the rig and I said, well, boys, we were all heroes on that one again. And Tom Ruane came around the engine. He goes, yeah, this is a regular hero house. And I went, that is our new nickname, Hero House. <laughs> so we started calling ourselves Hero House because we'd been on so many uneventful calls where we did nothing important. And um, so everybody kind of took that, that we were cocky and arrogant, that we were thinking we were heroes. But it was truly just the opposite, and that's what was fun Making about fun that. Making fun of yourself. But yeah, that, that's what was fun about that. But that was and around the same time as Castle West. Yes, it was. So I think that's what kind of played into that, <laughs> too, where people right. were like, really? I okay, guess I you guys type. got the big fire, you guys are the heroes, <laughs> but, you know, didn't really understand the whole backstory behind that. And, you know, the, you know, I... I it's so funny, Castle West, you talk about Castle West real quick. We went out on that, and I truly had never seen a smoke plume that looked like that before. It looked like an atomic bomb had gone off. There was so much smoke outside the driveway of Sevens. And uh, we had got there, and I truly thought we were making a difference. Sevens was, was hit. We had a two-and-a-half going down a hallway. I was on the nozzle, and I had, like, 
I think I had six guys behind me and it was the hardest I'd ever worked in my fire career. And we just kept, I kept spraying water and spraying water and that fire died down. I'd turn off the nozzle and here it came again, roaring back. So I'd fire it up again and put it out. And I kept going, why is this fire not going out? And I go, what is going on? And I couldn't figure it out. And it's at one point I finally turned around and I said, I said, guys, are, are you okay? And because I was, I thought I was going to die at that point. It kept getting so, it was so hot. And I don't know who it was because I couldn't see through their mask and I didn't know who it was. It was too smoky. And they said, I feel like my head's going to explode. And I said, let's get out of here. <laughs> so we drugged that line out. And I remember seeing Wade up on a third floor and his, he had an inch and three quarter in his hand that had been burned through, so it didn't even have water to it. And I was like, come on down, let's get out of here. And we and we got out of there, and uh, uh, I remember collapsing at the, as we exited, and I was on my hands and knees, and I couldn't get up. And Ruane came back, and he goes, are you okay? And I was like, oh my God, I thought, I, th I thought we were going to die in there. And he helped me up, and we were walking around, and I was like, I kept walking going, I can't, I don't understand why this fire didn't go out. And Brian Lynch came up to me and we were talking and he goes, we were talking about how much fire was involved. And I said, I don't understand. And he goes, he looked at me and he goes, do you even know what's going on here? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, walk around the corner. And I walked around the corner and this whole giant building was on fire. <laughs> I thought it was just the wing we were in, but it was this whole <laughs> apartment complex was in fully involved and I was like oh now I know why the fire makes didn't go <laughs> it makes perfect sense now <laughs> so yeah that was that was interesting and just so Cindy where do you go from here what's next what's the next chapter well we've got a lot going on right now <laughs> we uh we bought a house in South Carolina so we are going to be leaving Colorado which is going to be interesting because we're both we were both born and raised here um we actually leave on the 21st or 2nd. We're not exactly sure which day. But uh, we're oh, going to go to warmer weather and uh, go to the beach sometime. Like all in in South Carolina or you're coming back here for summer? No, it or? is all in. It we sold our, house. sold our house. Um, <laughs> we're staying in our house. That was part of our closing deal that we get to stay there for a month. So we sold it a couple weeks ago. They closed. Yeah. Uh, we got to be out of it. And we're loading a truck and we're heading to South yeah. Carolina. I've also heard room over a boat. Is there a boat? Is there a boat somehow involved? Uh, not that I know of. Oh, remember? Surprise! It, it was, it was <laughs> Tommy Smith had called me because oh, yeah, he, yeah. he lives an hour and a half away. And he was like, Fred, let's get a boat together. And Cindy was like, you are not buying a boat. And it's like, honey, I don't want to. I don't like water that much. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting a boat, especially with Tommy. We'd drown out there. It'd be ridiculous. And it would sink or something. So, yeah, no boats for us. No boats. Okay. No boats. Maybe, maybe sea dews, though. There you go. Those are fun. Yeah, Lake Murray's real close. So. Yeah. Only, I'll tell one other thing. I have never, ever, ever smoked marijuana in my life <laughs> i was not that guy in high school at, the next logical years. question is is yes. that about to change <laughs> that's, that's exactly what i was thinking like you're about to say i never have uh, in, in 14 days <laughs> i'll leave it at that i am retiring yep. <laughs> all right thank you thank you both for coming in cindy it was great to see you again it was great and, to see you. and good luck on your journeys thank you thank you i'm proud that 
I know you. Oh. We've spent a lot of good time sitting in cars telling stories. I didn't work Absolutely. with you a lot on the line, but when I made BC, uh, we would sit and tell stories and talk and commiserate on high angle rescues. In Absolutely. The um, so thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for this department. Thank you for being who you are. Um, I'm happy to know you, so thank you. Thank you very much. I, I agree, you've made a significant, whether you know this or not, you've made a significant impact on my career and the person that I want to be growing up in this organization. So I wanna say thank you for that. And I know that I'm not the only one on the job. So thanks for the things that you have taught me and shown me over the years as well. You, you guys humbled me and thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Can I get a engine seven? That was your <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually forgot about that. So I was a propane officer. Every time we sent our, our medic in, I made sure to say, not engine seven back in service, I would say. Dispatch, engine seven back in service, still ALS. <laughs> and on that note, thank you guys. We're out. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with Fred and Cindy Varnell. Again, uh, a very rewarding experience for me. Again, it was uh, a good way for me to say goodbye and good luck uh, to two people that I've enjoyed spending lots of my time with over the years. Yeah, um, and like I said, Fred and I, we never worked on the same shift consistently um, but I got to see him a lot in passing because I spent a lot of time not as much as he did but a lot of time at station seven and um, just seeing him across shifts and then being able to be here and um, being a part of kind of this going away talk with him was it was important for me you know to be a part of and and I got a lot out of it as well and um, you know there's some some things that he talked about in you know in this conversation we got to hear about his career path um, we got to um, hear about kind of his thoughts on um, relationships, you know, on the job and with family, kind of talking to Cindy. Um, and then we got to hear his perspective on leadership. And to me, that was a, a big one. That was my, I think that was my favorite part of that conversation is just to listen to him talk about his view on leadership. And like I said in the beginning of this, um, the introduction to this one, if I had to classify his style of leadership, I would say he is an authentic leader. Yeah, I, I think that's a good word for it. Um, you know, we talked about him being authentic and we talked about leaders being who they are. Uh, so here I need to obviously apologize to Jocko Willink. Um, yeah, I, I kind of made it sound like he was the flavor of the month uh, guy out on the leadership circuit and I, I, I think he's I think he's more than that although I haven't studied him a whole lot he's he's a very 
I wouldn't say polarizing, but he's a very strong personality. Yes. And I think a lot of people try to pick that up and become that rather than just be themselves, rather than take what he's saying and apply it to who they are. Sometimes they try to become Jocko, and I, and I think that does a disservice to them, not necessarily Jocko, because what he's teaching is very relevant and, and very um, – very relevant and, and, and is very good uh, skills to have as a leader. Um, but your personality is your personality. Don't don't fake it. Yeah. You know. And so I apologize to Jocko and in, in, in implying that you know maybe he's a, he's a fad rather than you know a serious uh, teacher of leadership. Um, if you'd like to come on the podcast, not that you're listening to this because. I mean, we are international, but we're not that international. <laughs> um, please give us a call. Um, we'd be happy to have you on the show. Um, but I do apologize for, you know, making it sound like um, he was just a passing ship in the night because he's really not. He's, just, yeah. he's, re- he's really good. It's just, just as with any other leadership instructor, just take the, take the important things and, and apply it to how you lead rather than trying to become somebody else. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, more background to that is you and I have had conversations about leadership in the past, especially when it comes to new leaders in the organization. And I think that, you know, what you're saying is we are wanting our people to grow up in this organization and, and lead with their own strengths, like lead as the person that they are and don't say like let's take um you know one of our our past you know leaders on the job and say don't you don't have to be that that lieutenant or that captain or that chief you know you can grow into your own person and that's what that's how i took you know that part of the conversation because i agree you know jocko's got um a world of background that most people are never going to understand and and now he's able to take that information and do something really great with it. Um, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take that conversation mm-hmm. the way that uh, the way that I guess it could be interpreted. But. Sure. Well, and Fred, Fred was good about saying, "Hey, you should be who you are." Yeah, absolutely. You know, he he spent a whole career being himself, and and look where it led him. And you don't have to be Fred Fred Varnell to be a successful leader in the organization. Um, you do have to have a passion for this job. You have to have a passion for people. And however you express that um, is how you express it. And that's, you know, develop yourself into being a great leader. I know I, I was listening to Simon Sinek the other day, and he, and he said the, the most important thing about being a leader is understanding that, you know, you're serving those who serve others. Right. It's not being in charge. It's being in the charge of those in charge right yes you know what i mean so work for the people that you work that work for you make sure they have the tools to be successful um, and guide them through the times that they need you to help and um, allow them to develop as people and as leaders in our organization as well yeah absolutely and that is the extreme ownership that jocko talks about right there is kind of understanding the um the position that you've acquired or that you've been put in or that you've been taken on. And it's not about you. It's about, you know, the people that are working with you for you and uh, making sure that they have all the tools and resources that they need and that they're taken care of and, and having ownership in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Uh, we're going out to the out the door today with a song called Hood Babies from the duo We Are The Good. Uh, they're a hip hop duo from the West Coast. Um, you know, they started this band, they're both music producers, uh, began to make their own music in 2020. Uh, Quinton Kobolentz uh, from Ohio, I hope you're, I got your name right, and Wes Ryder from Virginia. Good music, good hip hop music. Um, not some of the some of the negative hip hop that you have out there. Good positive message message in some of them. Good stories in some of their music. You can find their music on Artlist.io, Apple Music, Spotify, um, any place that you can get uh, music stream uh, streaming services. Um, also, you can find them on social media uh, by searching "We Are the Good," all one word. So thank you again for listening. Again, if you have any uh, topics that you would like us to discuss, please just call anybody in the training division. Uh, you don't have to come on air if you don't want to. We can develop it uh, for you or you. Please feel free to come on and participate with you. It's always fun. It's always a good time, and that, that's why we do it, um, to hopefully uh, get a little bit of learning out there. We sure learn a lot. Uh, we enjoy doing it, and I think uh, you would too. So. Uh, here we go with Hood Babies from We Are The Good. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening. Don't got no heart, I got an icebox. Ran a roll and swipe out the G-Shock. Moving slowly, I know the street hat. No more double, go ahead and detox. Came from the trenches, they ain't showing us no love. Get the cash and tell my family out of the hood, that's a must. Was a hood baby with no soldiers. Bad past never left my mind, it's taking over. No, I should have died, that's why it's hard to stay sober. Glad to see the sun, but my heart getting colder. Life's all crazy, what we been through. When you die, the only time that they gon' miss you. Tell my mama, no more tears, no more tissue. Ooh, just some hood baby with some issues. Hood baby from the struggle. Make it hard not to relapse Build up aggression, make it hard